I'm Kasada Bullman. Today, my guest is Chef Brian Ray. He joins us from Boston, where currently he's executive chef at Faccia Afacha, a coastal Italian-inspired restaurant. Chef Ray has worked in many restaurants from Connecticut to Nantucket to Las Vegas. We will be discussing the restaurant scene in Boston. Also, your career is just one-eighth of your life. We'll talk about Derek Thompson's article in The Atlantic, where he shares five pieces of career advice shaped by economics and psychology. Plus, we explore stepping into the unknown, the courage it takes, and the opportunity it provides when it comes to growing and learning and becoming your authentic self. So I'll start by asking, as we always do, have you eaten yet? This could be a meal from today, or it could be a meal from any time in your life that you have a really great memory about. Hi, so I have a two-part answer for that question. The only thing I've had today is this coffee that I'm currently drinking, but I already have some pasta and beans sitting on my stove that I'm going to eat as soon as I get out of this uh, podcast before I go to work. Nice. And is that norm for you, like pasta and beans, or you're usually eggs and toast, or what's your norm? So I don't normally eat pasta and beans for breakfast, no. But I'm trying to finish off all these leftovers that I have in my fridge before I buy more food. Just being better about not wasting food. I always cook on my days off, and then I don't always get to it during the week while I'm working. So I'm just trying to be be better at finishing all my food before I make more. Absolutely. Well, you are my first guest from Boston. So I want to jump in and tackle everything about the restaurant scene there, or as much as we can pack into this episode. So I want to go back to when you first arrived in Boston, around what year was that, and what was the restaurant scene like then? So I got to Boston from Nantucket in 2009, and I started working at Rialto in Harvard Square. And the restaurant scene was just starting, I mean, I don't want to say just start, but it seemed to be going through a a big growth period in 09. There was restaurants popping up everywhere, lots of new chefs, uh, opening restaurants everywhere. Uh, Farmers markets were really big. Uh, It was a really fun time to start working in Boston and really start to get to know the area. I mean, at Rialto, uh, it was an Italian restaurant and we had, you know, eight to 10 local farms delivering produce a couple times a week, plus a farmer's market outside. Um, and we ran a regional Italian menu so that changed regions um, every couple months. So it was really fun to be able to handpick all these ingredients that we would then put on the menu. Um, as far as Boston in general, I think there was a lot of people doing like the whole like farm to table thing. I think that was huge back then. Uh, there was restaurants all over Boston that were you know, using the same farms and we'd kind of compare notes with other chefs at night to see what was good from what farm and what was good from another farm. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, the farmers would just show up in your kitchen. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they'd be covered in dirt from their own fields telling you about what was good on their farm. So it was a great connection. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, how has the restaurant scene changed since then? What's the biggest thing that stands out to you? I mean, obviously the pandemic would be the biggest thing, I think, unfortunately, which, uh, you know, there's a lot less of us around right now than there was, you know, two or three years ago. 
Um, but that aside, I would say that there used to be more, I don't know if fine dining is the right term or if you want to call it white tablecloth, but there was a lot more restaurants trying to be fancier than there are now. Now it's, it's way more laid back in Boston, very casual. Um, the style of cooking is more like the style of home for whatever kind of cuisine you're doing. I would think like, you know, I do a lot of Italian, but like, you know, the Spanish restaurants and Japanese restaurants, everybody seems to be doing, you know, a, a, like a lower level of cooking that I kind of like better. You know, it's more comfortable, more homey yeah. and more delicious too. Yeah. Is Boston lacking anything food wise or does the city have everything on your wish list? I mean, Boston's great. It's got all sorts of different cuisines, you know, both on like the, the higher fine dining level and like the place you can go and just grab, you know, bong mi's or something like that for lunch. Uh, but living out West was different. Uh, I would say the, there was more variety in Las Vegas for both Mexican food and Asian food. And some of that I kind of miss, you know, there's no, there's not very many, you know, Japanese yakitori's here that you can go to at, you know, midnight or one in the morning. Actually, there's none as far as I know. Um, and just little things like that, I think would be fun. Like those restaurants around the edges where there's more of a population of that's of, you know, the culture that supports restaurants like that. I, I think Boston is missing. We're a little bit more like straight down the center of the road. Uh, and we're, we're missing a couple of those fringe restaurants. So that would be nice. But I think that'll happen over time. You know, as more and more restaurants open, people try to differentiate themselves in different ways and you start to get more of a, a breadth of variety. Well, what's your number one restaurant slash restaurant uh, or what's your number one food slash restaurant recommendation? It could be a type of food or a certain restaurant. Um, you can't name your own restaurant, but it's a recommendation for people who live in the Boston area. So these are people who live there and maybe this spot that you're going to talk about is something underrated. It could be a hole in the wall, but a place that is always solid that you go to that maybe people who live in the Boston area don't know about. Uh, people that live in the Boston area don't know about. Let's see. I would say Brassica Kitchen in my neighborhood, Jamaica Plain, would be one of those restaurants. It's like almost at the end of the subway line. Like you don't go out there to that neighborhood of Forest Hills unless you live out there basically. Um, and this restaurant, Brasca Kitchen, is a coffee shop during the day. And then they transition over to doing like Asian tapas at night. And it's really fun in there. Uh, the chef, Jay, is always finding new ingredients and new ways to present them. And it's just a lot of fun to see you know, what's going through his head and what he's cooking, you know, every once in a while, just pop in there. Plus it's in my neighborhood. So it's easy for me to get to. Same question, but for chefs visiting Boston, what are a few solid places that they should eat at where they leave Boston saying that city did not disappoint again, not including your restaurant. So I would say, and this is a fairly well-known restaurant, called Sarma. It's in, it's it's north of the river, which I don't know if you live in, if you know Boston well enough, there's a river that runs the Charles River runs through the Boston area and it separates 
Cambridge and Somerville from Boston. And there's a lot of people that won't cross the river because it seems like this tumultuous journey, even though there's bridges and subway lines and all these things to go across it. But if you cross the river out of Boston and go to Sarma, uh, Cassie Puma is doing some of the coolest like Middle Eastern and North African food that uh, I think it's just really interesting and kind of incredible. Uh, it's very casual. They have, you know, a fun style of service, uh, lots of small plates. Uh, and they actually uh, sometimes will just, they used to do this before the pandemic, at least. I don't know if they still do it. They walk around with, you know, a tray with like eight orders of fried chicken and just go table to table. And you could buy it right off the tray, which is kind of a fun style of service. Uh, and her food's just really delicious. So I would say Sarma would be one of them. Uh, Julia, if you want Italian food, that's another great restaurant. Um, they make all their own pastas, and the Italian food is just very authentic, and the ingredients are very good. Um, yeah, and Brassica, again, I, I would say that you know even if you're from out of town, you should go to Brassica. Um, so yeah, those three. So I'm going to roll a few questions into one with the intention of having you bring us into your current life. So this is where you talk about your restaurant. So from launching a restaurant, menu planning, opening day, all the way to present day, how big or small is your team? Have there been any challenges that stand out? Any highlights that you're proud of so far? What is a typical day like for you? Basically, I'm trying to get the overall feel for this time in your life. We started planning this restaurant before the pandemic. Uh, you know, the build out was completely reconstructing a building. And then the restaurant team, a construction team got to go in and build our restaurant. And then with the pandemic, you know, that took like two and a half years or something like that. It took a long time. Um, but we see, we started really getting serious about planning the menu last winter. I spent three weeks in Italy, which was awesome, doing research in Sicily and like the Genoa area and Campania, just, you know, trying different things and, you know, looking for new ingredients and new ideas. Um, then this spring, we wrote, a menu with, you know, probably 50 too many menu items on it and then slowly worked it down and down and down. And we opened in May, which was great. Uh, we opened with the team. I would say there was probably 10 to 12 of us on the back of the house team when we opened. And we're this was one of the lucky openings I've been to. We were very, very busy. And now our team is getting close to double that size because um, we've had to just, you know, our our two-person garbage station became a four-person station on busy nights. And our hotline went from two people to, you know, at least three people, like seven nights a week. So we, we've just been very, very fortunate. Um, and we've just slowly built out this team uh, to what it is now. Uh, one thing that was kind of cool is that, we were able to build the team kind of slowly over a course of a couple months. And I think it allowed for better camaraderie on that team because, you know, a lot of times when you open up a restaurant and everyone is brand new all at the same time, it's very difficult to train and it's really hard to establish the culture exactly the way you want to. But when you start a little smaller, 
And then you're like a snowball rolling downhill, getting a little bit bigger, you know, each week. Um, it was, it was way more fortunate because we were able to establish the culture we wanted to and really reinforce a lot of the things that, you know, like some of the recipes and techniques and just how people treat each other and all that kind of stuff to, to kind of make it more the way we wanted it, which is, you know, a, a friendly environment where, you know, you take the food seriously, but you don't take yourself all that seriously. Um, so yeah, now things are going well. Uh, my day starts usually probably about nine thirty in the morning. I'll start reading my emails, and if I have to, you know, do any menu planning or make any phone calls, I'll do stuff like that. Uh, I'm at the restaurant by by eleven thirty. I'm at the restaurant, um, and then there's a lot of like we do a lot of crudos, so there's a lot of fish prep that I try to get done right away. Um, we don't have a pastry chef, so me and my two chefs make a lot of desserts during the day. And then we just begin the station prep for all the stations. Cooks get there around two. Um, we go into service at five and, you know, do however many covers we, we do that day. And I'm usually out of there by 1130 or 12 o'clock at night. Uh, so it's a long day right now. But it's a fun day. I really like it. Like the people I'm working with, like the food we're doing. So, you know, things are going really well right now for us. How big is the restaurant? So the restaurant we have, well, there's a couple parts. There's our main dining room, which I think is about 80 seats. And then we have a 40 seat patio out front that now that it's getting a little cooler, I think we're going to unfortunately lose pretty soon. And then we have a wine bar in our basement that you kind of enter through. You can either enter it through the restaurant or through the back alley. And we do like uh, tapas style snacks down there. And there's a lot of natural wine and fun stuff to drink. Let's go back to three weeks in Italy, because not everyone, especially after COVID, not everyone gets that privilege, right? You know, maybe back in the day more often, but even then, not every chef gets that. So what was that like? And uh, talk about that time. Italy was fantastic. It was a lot of travel, but it was really fun to be able to explore those different areas. It wasn't my first time there, so I kind of had you know a little bit of an idea of where I wanted to go and how to get from place to place. Um, but it was really fun to see the restaurants that were there. Um, I'm sure there wasn't as many as there was two years before that. But there was still a lot going on. People were very friendly. Um, and there was a lot of people out and about. I think it was just like here. Like, you know, even though people were still nervous about COVID, they were so tired of, you know, sitting in their houses that they were willing to take the chance and go out to eat. So the restaurants were all pretty full. Um, I didn't hear anything about labor shortages or anything like that the way you heard here. Um, the restaurant seemed uh, fairly well staffed that I was in. You are going on behalf of your restaurant. You know, you're launching a menu. So, what's going through your head, and what are you looking at? Are you just going to restaurants? Are you trying to meet with farmers? Are you, you know, what what are you doing when you're going there? Like, all right, three weeks. How am I going to do this? Or are you just getting inspiration by eating out? Definitely getting inspiration by eating out. But we were also, you know, going to fish markets, you know, went to a fish market in Palermo, fish market in Syracuse, 
went to the, like the center outdoor market in Genoa, which I highly recommend. That was beautiful. Um, went to an olive oil farm in uh, like basically the center of the middle of nowhere in Sicily. Um, that was fantastic and really, really beautiful. They make really nice olive oil there. Um, but uh, I couldn't get, we wanted to get wine appointments, but the, the trip got planned fairly quickly and it was hard to organize meeting some of those purveyors, unfortunately. So it was really more about going to markets and seeing what people buy rather than what was available on a, on a wholesale level in most of those regions. But I feel like you get a more honest you know, snapshot of what each region is about anyway when you go to the local markets rather than, you know, talking to purveyors and wholesale people. So I, I feel like we did it. We did it right. What kind of trend, what did you see overwhelmingly that people were buying at markets that really stood out to you that you weren't seeing here in the States? So the things I saw at the market the most that really struck me was all the, uh, all the smaller fish, all the little oily fish, uh, the octopus, all, all the little things that, you know, maybe some people eat over here were definitely mainstream over there. You know, you saw everybody buying this stuff. Um, there was also a lot of truffles in the market, which was fantastic. But I think that was more the luck of being there, you know, in November. Well, we're going to jump into career. And it's an article that came out recently. So it was saying your career is just one eighth of your life. And that's the focus of Derek Thompson's article in The Atlantic. And he shares five pieces of career advice shaped by economics and psychology. So we're going to explore all five. The first one is your career is not your life. So according to the website, 80,000 hours, the typical career is just that 80,000 hours. And it sounds like a long time but it's really just one sixth of your waking hours. The point is your career is not your life. So behave accordingly. You're in this transition right now in the last couple of months where you're just launching your long hours. You're, you're in it. You're in the beginning stages of this restaurant. So what are your thoughts on this advice? Does it not apply at all? Are you just not in that headspace? <laughs> You know, I, I wonder if it's a 40-hour week that they're using when they come up with that math, because I haven't had one of those in a while, that's for sure. But I get it. I mean, you can't let your career define you. You have to make yourself time to do other things in your life. You know, like, number one is, is I'm married and I need to spend time with my wife, regardless of how long I work that day. Um but also, I think you're just a, a better person if you give yourself time. You know, I, I try to go running or ride a bike or just take the dog out for a run or something like that, just so you know, you've done something else with your day <clears throat> and you get to, you know, your mind gets to clear a little bit. You can't just go, go, go all the time on any one thing. That's just, it doesn't seem, at least for me, that doesn't seem healthy. You know, you need to round out your life a little bit more and create time to, you know, let yourself calm down a little bit. I think that's probably more important for somebody working 75 hours a week than it is for 40. Number two, 
Don't do the job you want to tell other people you do. Do the job you want to do. Work is not a series of words on a LinkedIn profile. It's a series of moments in the world. And if you don't enjoy those moments, no title or position or money will make that discomfort disappear. What do you think about this advice? Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty fair advice. Although, you know, you want to be happy in your job and you want to, you know, if you have the luxury, you want to create the job that makes you happy. So I I get what he's trying to say. But also, if you want to eat, somebody has to pay you and you, you can't just do the job you want to do. You have to do the job that is required of you as well. You can't just do one. You got you to gotta do what's required of you and then make it fun for yourself on top of that, I think, is probably the way I would look at it. Yeah. No, that's a good balance there. Number three, explore, then exploit. Even if you don't quit your employer, you should constantly look to quit your job. Maybe not literally, but by switching up the exact role and responsibilities that you were hired for, Push yourself out of your comfort zone, switch roles, learn new skills. Have you ever tried this in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important to try new things and kind of switch things up a little bit. Otherwise, you get stagnant. And every day starts to feel like, you know, you see the movie Groundhog Day. Um, Every day just starts to feel like the last day. And you know, you can get kind of lost, you know, some people can get depressed, but like, you know, if you try something new, push yourself, learn a new skill, you know, I feel like that keeps things fresher, you know, and you're more centered and on point and directed if, if things are changing. I, I, I can't just do the same thing every day. I think that's, that's probably why I do what I'm doing because it's, I feel like it's easy for me to change every day in this position. And you're a leader. So I'm wondering as an executive chef, can you see sometimes where someone under you needs to do that? Maybe they don't know that, but maybe you push them a little to help them. Maybe you see, Oh, they, they, they may need a little fresh energy. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely times when you feel like you need to take somebody out of their comfort zone. Like, you know, they've been doing the same role for too long or, you know, maybe not too long, but you could tell that they're, the wheels aren't turning like they used to. And, you know, they just need a, a fresh start. And that's when you, you, know, you might change a dish on their station or give them like some kind of added prep um, or just, you know, find subtle ways to switch things up um, without rocking their life too hard. I feel like sometimes when you see an employee like that, too, like. Um, if you change things too much, too fast, you could lose the employee because then it's like, Oh my God, everything's changed. So you kind of, you got to finesse it a little bit as well. But yeah, that's how you keep people interested and keep people growing within the company is, you know, you give them more. Number four flow comes from voluntary, difficult and worthwhile work. Flow doesn't come from doing easy things over and over again. Rewarding work is not easy, but an achievable challenge that requires stretching your capabilities and allowing for learning and growth. How do you feel about this? 
it sounds like they're intellectualizing it a little bit too much, but I can see how there's more job growth and job satisfaction the further you push yourself. You know, the, the further you go along the lines of your job, I feel like the more you kind of self-actualize and feel like, you know, you've accomplished more. But in cooking, you can't just do one thing and then say, I've got this and move on to the next thing. You know, cooking is like craftsmanship and you have to do things, the same thing over and over again to really master it. You can't, you know, I've made bolognese sauce, you know, I don't even know how many times in my life. You know, it's different in every restaurant I've ever worked in. And if I had thought, you know, 24, 25 years ago when I first made it that I knew everything about bolognese and I could move on to the next thing, then I, I would have been wrong. I probably did, but, you know, now I know a little bit better. Um, so I, I, I think you have to – I think you have to do both. You have to – you need the repetition in cooking to really understand how everything works. And then you also have to push yourself to learn new things at the same time, new cuisines or new techniques. And I think that's – we. this is definitely not pointed – towards our industry, right? Because we're unique where every day, every service is different for us. It's different. You know, it's, it's not the, the mundane days. We're not, we're not always in that group where it's, you know, we have a challenge every day. The, the walk-in could go down, the customer's complaining, the, you know, we're always dealing with shit, right? So, yeah. Uh, the final one Number five, be honest with yourself about what you value and how much professional success matters to you. So identify how much ambition and hustle you have and then apply it accordingly. There's no substitute for working really hard and caring. Again, this all comes down to being honest with yourself. It means asking yourself questions, getting to know yourself And this can obviously change over the years. So has your outlook on this, and maybe you don't agree with this at all, um, shifted during your career, being really honest with yourself about what you value and how much professional success matters to you? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was thinking about when you said that was, uh, you know, work-life balance. Um, but it's how much you value each of the different things in your life, you know, and how would you would weight them compared to one another. And I think a lot of people, when they first start out in their career, the career is number one, boom, boom, boom. Um, but maybe when, you know, you get a little older, you know, I don't have any kids, but I know other people that definitely have kids and they certainly prioritize their kids above their work. You know, that doesn't mean they're bad at work, but it might change their priorities at work. Um, I, I feel like you could still push yourself and do interesting things at work, even if it's no longer like your top priority. Uh, for me, you know, my life, you know, I, I, I'm married now, you know, I have a dog, but I don't have any children. So like, I still feel like I can focus a large amount of my time at work and, you know, keep, keep pushing my career 
Um, I'm not trying to get famous or anything like that. I'm just trying to cook great Italian food. So, um, I don't know. I, I think probably, you know, you have to know what your goals are. You know, if, if your goal is to be, you know, the best chef you can be, which is, I feel like what I'm doing, then I, I feel like I'm right along that path. Yeah. And the key there is, you know who you are. You check in with yourself. Who am I in my 20s? Who am I in my 30s? You know, where where am I on this journey? And what's important to me? And I think the point is, not everyone does that. Not everyone checks in. Like, what what's important to me? Maybe they're following something because they, you know, because back in the day, their parents wanted them to do something or whatever, you know, like you're, you're connected to yourself. There's a self-awareness. Not everyone has that though. Sure. But I think that's something that comes over time. You know, you have to, you know, you know, you have to, you have to try different things in your twenties and thirties just to to figure out what's important to you. And you're going to do things that aren't important at all, but you got to try them. And then, you know, after experimentation, then you can kind of figure out and prioritize yourself and figure out where, what you like and where you want to be in life. Well, it's, that's a great lead in to the next topic. So uh, the unknown stepping into the unknown is uncomfortable. You have to give up control. It takes courage on many levels, courage to have people doubt you or misunderstand you making different decisions in life might be scary. They might backfire, but stepping into the unknown gives you an opportunity to grow and learn. And ultimately you become your authentic self. In my experience, stepping into the unknown starts with dreaming, might be daydreaming, might just be, you know, free flow, thinking of different things. Then maybe synchronicities will start to happen for me. Maybe a few signs. I'm taking those steps. It gives me the encouragement that I can take those steps into the unknown. Then maybe I have more of a feeling of knowing that I belong there. And those signs that I'm picking up help me keep going on my path. And in those moments, I know that I'm following my heart. And when things go wrong, and they always do, right? It doesn't mean I'm not doing it right. It's life. So we all get knocked down sometimes, but we get up and you stay alert, aware, you keep going. So I'm wondering in your life, whether in your career as a chef or in your personal life, you've ever stepped into the unknown and taken a chance on something. And if you have, I'd love to hear about your journey. Well, I, I guess on a practical level, I've definitely done that because I've opened, I think, five restaurants now. And it's always like stepping off into the unknown. You don't, you know, you open that door for the first time. You don't know who, if anybody's going to come through it. Um. But, and sometimes nobody does, I guess, because two of them aren't around anymore. But, um, yeah, you just have to take those chances. You have to be willing to, you know, be uncomfortable sometimes. Um, I also went, uh, the first time I went to Italy, I moved there and I was there for eight months. I went there by myself. That was a pretty unknown thing, I guess. And you just, you know. It's rewarding, but it's scary, and but you just have to do it from time to time to get yourself out of that comfort zone. Because you know, it's it you're never going to achieve new things if you don't try to get out of your comfort zone. What was that that prompted you 
like eight months in Italy. Where, where were you in life at that point? Uh, I was a student at the time. So, um, you know, I was pretty young. I was like 23 years old, um, just out of culinary school. And I was taking like classes at a local university for business and then working at the same time. Um, and I knew I liked Italian food. So I figured the best way for me to learn more about it would be to go to Italy. So I found a study abroad program and I jumped on a plane and I moved to Italy for eight months and it was fantastic. It wasn't always easy. It was lonely sometimes, but you know, I, I wish I was still there. It was a fantastic experience. Well, how do you continue to find inspiration each year? I know you went to Italy for three weeks, you know, in the recent years, but each year, like after that, like we always, not always can we, you know, fit a trip into Italy. So how do you, (laughs) how do you continue to find inspiration every year, despite whether you're traveling or not? So menu wise, I mean, it's, I try to run really ingredient centric menus. So seasonally, you kind of have to change. You just keep going and going and going. You're riding around on this wheel of seasonal ingredients. So you have to, you know, you have to change your whole menu every four months, basically, other than a couple staples. You know, you can get canned tomatoes year round, but you know, right now we're, you know, it's fall and it's, you know, it's all about squash and Brussels sprouts and all those things. Um, so I just find inspiration in the fact that I need to change to, you know, stay current with all those ingredients that I'm working with. And then after a couple months, we all, we all get bored of making Brussels sprouts. So we change again, you know, just to keep things fresh, keep things new, keep things going. Um, so like the ingredients themselves, I guess. And the fact that we have to is what inspires us. You know, it's just part of our lives. Have there ever been any signs or synchronicities in your life that led to new opportunities for you in this industry? Um, if so, you could describe the moment. It seems like you've definitely, you know, you've launched a couple of restaurants, so maybe it could be connected to that. Like how did those just come to you? You know, did people, did you talk to someone who talked to someone who knew someone? Um, it feels like you've, you've been around a lot of different energy that led to new opportunities for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the restaurants have come out around in different ways that I've been a part of opening. Uh, this most recent one, Faccia Bruta, uh, I was, I was already working within the restaurant group. I, I ran a different restaurant called Copa for five years. And it was during that time that the situation presented itself. You know, Copa was another Italian restaurant, a little bit smaller, uh, more of a neighborhood spot. Um, but I think it was just, you know, working hard and then producing great food and, you know, working with a team in the right way, just inspired the owners to, you know, see if I wanted to be interested in, uh, you know, in Faccia Bruta and they approached me with, you know, an outline of the ideas of what they wanted to do. And, and we kind of went from there. Um, some, other times when I've opened restaurants, it's been more of a an outside influence coming in and, and, you know, chirping in my ear if I wanted to open up a restaurant. But this was very natural for me. And I, honestly, it's been the best process. So, you know, it was all internal. 
it was the same people all moving forward on a new project together, which, you know, maybe part of the reason why it's, it's worked so well for us so far is we all knew each other and we kind of knew our roles and, you know, we all work well together. When these opportunities have come to you in the past, do you know, is there something like internal? Is it a gun instinct? Is it something that you know right away? Or do you feel like you're going into the unknown? Um, I mean, there's always a sense of going into the unknown, but you have to kind of be right. Like there's been other offers that I've decided not to take when I, you know, when somebody offered me a way to make a change, but you have to be kind of ready. You know, all those other times I was ready to make a move career wise, you know, you know, not even if I wasn't, you know, I was probably happy in my job, but like, just, you know, there's times when you just kind of have your head up a little bit and you're looking around and like, you might not even be thinking about making a move, but you know, you're looking around a little bit and then somebody chirps in your ear and then you're like, Oh, that sounds cool. Let's, let's do that. And that, and that's when you kind of jump off um, into the unknown. Flow state. So a flow state also known as being in the zone is the mental state when a person is performing an activity and is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, clarity, and enjoyment in the entire process. It doesn't feel like work necessarily. It's an effortless, you know, attention that you're giving it. And it's euphoric feeling. It's during this altered state of consciousness that your mind functions at its peak and a sense of happiness flows through your body. So for you, it could be as you're cooking, it could be during service, it could be when you're there in the morning alone at the restaurant before anyone arrives. It could be a number of things, it, or it could be when you're riding your bike, who knows? But I'm wondering if you've ever reached this state. And if you have, please describe your surroundings leading up to it and what it felt like being in that state. Well, as you were just describing that, I was thinking about line cooking on a busy night on a station when you have all your mise en place all around you and everything is in its perfect spot. And then the tickets start going and you get really busy and, you know, you just cook for, you know, three or four hours straight without even like lifting up your head that that's what that that's what flow state reminds me of for sure and fortunately line cooking is kind of a young man's game um you know it's an it's a very athletic endeavor you know it's it's hot it's tiring it's fast moving work that requires a high degree of concentration over a long period of time so i don't get to do it as much as i used to you know now i'm more expediter um, and, you know, more involved in the planning phases of everything, but line cooking for sure. And I, I definitely miss that. Like nowadays I would say, yeah, in the morning when you're doing like lots of prep on a new dish or, you know, I guess just cooking in general is where I would get that now, but line cooking for sure, because, uh, you know, the flow state, it sounded like an intense period of time and line cooking is nothing if it's not intense on a busy night and you're just in it the tickets are flowing and you're just in it and it's that feeling where you're there but you're not there like you can hear the buzz around you but you're just focused you're in it 
yeah, you're focused on your eight or nine or 10 dishes and doing them over and over again perfectly and getting them out and not falling into the weeds. And yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, that's it. So we're going to thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I believe that the journey is always greater than the destination. It's on the path that we learn, evolve, and encounter lessons that shape us into our best selves. I always like ending the podcast by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a lesson you've learned on your journey in life, or general life advice that you live by? Um, I guess I like that there's people out there doing podcasts, you know, with the, and they're including the topic of work-life balance. Um, I mean, not everybody's balance is the same. Like, I feel like I have pretty good work-life balance and, and I work all the time, but I have done things in my life that give me time to gain perspective and kind of clear my head. And, you know, my percentage of work to everything else in my life might be different than other people, but I think it's really important that people find that balance. Well, where or how is the best way for people to connect or get in touch with you? <laughs> I'm always at the restaurant, so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, come to Faccia, Faccia, and I will be there. Or I guess my email address, email me. It's uh, brianray at fachaboston.com. Well, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, follow Have You Eaten Yet wherever you get your podcasts.